that happened to me 20 years ago, there's no way it could still be leaving an imprint on me. But if the body is still in that freeze mode, defense mode, shame mode, fear mode, it's still holding on to the past because in the past, you didn't have a space that was safe to process it. And so it freezes and it stays in your body until it can't anymore. Hi, friends, and welcome to episode 188 of the Assyrian Podcast. Now, you know when you listen to the Assyrian Podcast, we're going to come at you from anywhere on the planet. And today's episode comes to you from Lisbon, Portugal, where we get to meet the incredibly talented Stephanie Keogh. She's an author, a poet, an educator who calls Lisbon, Portugal her home. Stephanie holds a Bachelor's of Art in Creative Writing and Philosophy from Roosevelt University, and is certified in mind-body therapy through Embodied Philosophy. Stephanie has made it her mission to empower others through her monthly creative writing and somatic workshops. She also celebrates her Assyrian heritage by sharing mouth-watering recipes on her Instagram account. In this episode, we'll explore the fascinating intersections of body, mind, and culture as we delve into Stephanie's personal journey and her passion for fostering self-awareness and healing through her work. So sit back, relax, and join us as we learn more about Stephanie, the art of listening to our bodies, and the incredible power of self-expression. Be sure to check out Stephanie's website at www.stephaniekeo.com and follow her on Instagram at stephaniekeo for even more inspiration. And now, here is Stephanie Keogh. I'm excited and I'm thankful to have you on the show, Stephanie. And I was wondering if you would be okay with us starting with some kind of a body work exercise. Totally. I would love that. Um, Thank you again, Steve, for having me. As I mentioned with you personally, I have a background in mind-body therapy, and I love incorporating these practices into the work that I do as a writer um, and a writing coach. So I would just love for us to start, especially for those listening, whether you're standing or sitting, just to engage yourself with your body. You know, we, we tend to be so stuck in our heads and in our thoughts, we forget that we're having a somatic body experience. So I would love for us to start just very gently with our hands and you can just kind of hug yourself and place your hands on your arms. Okay. So by the way, this is a first for the Assyrian podcast. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So I appreciate you leading us and like being willing to do this. So for whoever is listening to this right now, Stephanie, I'm, I'm doing a zoom call with her so I could see her, but what she's doing is she's wanting us to like, we're supposed to hug ourselves. (laughs) Yeah, so you would basically cross your arms and place your hands on your arms, so like crisscross, okay, applesauce, so, but with your upper yeah. body. Okay, so bo- both of my hands are sort of like in a crisscross hugging my shoulders right now. Yeah, like a King Tut kind of thing. And so we're going to lift our hands lightly and then place them back onto our arms. And we're just going to continue this motion up and down our arms very gently. It's almost going to tickle if you're doing it really gently because we just really want to engage the sense of touch 
Um, this is actually our first language when we're born is touch. That's the way we communicated with our caregivers. So just, you know, connecting with that primal, I guess, language. And you can feel free to have your eyes open or eyes closed as you're just feeling your hands touching your arms. You could also rub your arms up and down. And then you could also just untangle your your arms and your hands and start doing the same thing to your thighs. So just patting your thighs and maybe rubbing up and down like your knee, your thigh. It's, it's and, funny because these are, this is something I would probably normally do without thinking about it, right? Like yeah. to bring comfort to ourselves. Exactly. Yeah. That's something that I do when I'm feeling anxious or something triggers me. I literally just caress my skin. It, it looks very weird. Um, it's just like, what is she doing? She's giving herself a little massage, but that's literally you telling yourself through your body that you're safe. Because if you're not safe, your body wouldn't do that. You would be running, you'd be escaping, or you'd be freezing. And so to communicate in a somatic way, in a body way, that there's softness, there's gentleness, there's pleasure, and there's contact, there's connection, like you're safe. And that could be really helpful for those of us who experience anxiety. We feel like it's a mental thing, but it's actually a physical thing. So yeah, I just wanted to share that little practice before I love we it. jump no, into this. Thank you for that. I know that when I first came across your profile and I was researching you, I was like, man, I love this work that Stephanie is doing. And I know that you've gone out of your way to learn about this work and to make it your life. But I thought a lot of times when we hear about this kind of stuff, it feels disconnected. It feels kind of out in the clouds or just far away from us. And I thought I would love to start an episode with Stephanie where she just walks us through a quick, easy exercise. And the one that you just had us do where we kind of clasp at our shoulders and we gently kind of massage a little bit around our legs and our thighs, it actually does bring a lot of comfort, but I never thought of it that way. I never thought of how much comfort is this really bringing me? Mm, totally. And when you mentioned, like, I went out of my way to study this, I, I almost didn't have a choice because I was personally going through trauma um, and PTSD. And that basically brought me out of my body and I had out of body experiences. I was constantly dissociating and it was almost like a love story returning back to my body. It took a lot of gentleness. It took a lot of that caress, caressing like motions and just coming back home to my body in the softest, slowest, most patient way. Um, so yeah, I feel like this will help so many people. Uh, we, we tend to think that the mind is just going to get us out of all of these illnesses or issues and shame, fear, anxiety that we're experiencing, but the answer is in the body, like the consciousness is in the body. <laughs> so yeah, I'm so grateful for this work for like saving so many lives and like bringing us back. And I really want to dig into, you've been very transparent and open about sharing sort of your own history and triggers or um, you've been open about sharing your own trauma and how you've, this work has helped you to heal and how you've incorporated it in your life. And I want to jump into that with you. But one of the first things I would love to chat with you about is you keep using the word somatic. 
And somatic is not a regular word in my vocabulary, at least. I mean, I know the word. And then as an Assyrian, of course, we think of soma. Mm-hmm. Can you share more about somatic and soma and what all that means to you? Yeah, I think it's so interesting because when I was researching that word years ago, because soma for us means fasting, but somatic just basically means of the body from the body. And yeah, how I would describe this to, I guess, the Assyrian community, especially like my family and my parents, when I have explained it to them, is just providing examples that they can relate to. So if you're feeling stressed at work, just taking a moment to see where does that stress reside in my body? Like, where do I feel it? You know, do I feel it in my, in my neck? I feel it in my heart. Yeah. And I guess because I, I now live in Portugal, my family's in Chicago. I think I asked my mom, okay, you're sad. I'm leaving. Where do you feel it? Like in your body. And she's like, my heart is breaking. So those are examples that we can relate to. And the body is always speaking. So it's really just bringing the awareness back to that. So a lot of people are very cerebral. And when we run into a problem, we try to look to psychology or we try to rationalize it or think it through. And kind of what I hear you saying is before you jump to a self-help book, maybe you should consider looking or listening to your body. And would you say that you've learned sort of techniques for how to listen to your body? Yeah, I've I've done it so, so much that it's easier for me to drop in and understand what my body's saying. I'm really visual. So it, you know, the, the certificate that I have is in mind body therapy. And it really like this practice has really married both my mind and my body. And when I do, you know, connect to my body and have like these meditative journeys, I also have visuals or visions come to my mind or images, you know, like, and that's basically my body communicating to me and reminding me like, this is where experiences or emotions were stored that was related to this event in your life. But yeah, I, I, for, I think a year I had a practice, a daily practice of somatic focusing and somatic work. Um, And now I incorporate it every day, but I don't have like strict practice every single day as I used to, but I, I do incorporate somatic techniques every day because it's just easier for me to drop in. I love the way you say that drop in because you really, you're talking about your body as if it's something, yes, it's you, but like, that's what I would say, like to a friend, I'd say, Hey, I'd love to drop in for a few minutes. Yeah. It's so interesting. Even the language is kind of weird because when we say my body, our body, it's almost like separate from us. Like the language is implying separation in a way. I just feel like language will never be perfect, but I, I always remember that language is just an echo of what's really being experienced in the body. And in like traditional psychotherapy, it's, it's about communicating what your problems are, what your issues are talking, talking and talking, which can be helpful. But if it's not connected to how your body is feeling in the moment, Like, I don't think any healing could really take place because you're not addressing what's showing up in the moment and the body never lies, whereas our memory could lie to us or our words can lie. And we say a lot of should. That happened to me 20 years ago. There's no way it could still be leaving an imprint on me. But if the body is still in that freeze mode, defense mode, shame mode, fear mode, it's still holding on to the past because in the past, you didn't have a space that was safe 
to process it. And so it freezes and it stays in your body until it can't anymore, which I think is so important to, to note because in the topic of trauma, I've seen a lot of people get annoyed and triggered by it. Like, oh, just get over it. It was in the past. But this is science as well. Like this is not something to be debated. We do hold on, not because we want to hold grudges, but because we weren't taught to process and digest our emotions the way we process and digest our food. Um, and so it remains stuck. And we as animals, we we have to like move that energy, you know? Yeah. And we actually had someone on the show who also she specializes in trauma and she's talked to me about how animals sometimes when they go through sort of a traumatic experience, they'll go and they'll shake it off. They'll just shake their whole body. Um, and yeah. you, you kind of see it with dogs sometimes even where they just shake everything off. So you're very much attuned and aware to your body as a map for how your, your whole health it's from what I'm hearing. And just our time is, you're trying, you're trying to redirect people away from trying to figure it out mentally as much as how do you listen to your body? Because you might actually get healed without having to go through. It's not that the mental stuff is bad, but you're, but what I'm hearing is you can't ignore your body. Yeah. I, well, my body has never lied to me. It's, it's always been a prophet. It's always been a foreseer of what's going to happen even before I mentally was conscious of it, like, um, like I, whenever I would get into meditations and I would really feel into my body, I would awake to the fact that, oh, I actually don't trust this person, even though on paper they're ticking all the boxes of a trustworthy friend or partner. Um, and other times I would have like this feeling in my body, like run away, don't, don't do this or don't go there. And Every time I didn't listen, I dealt with really severe repercussions. Um, and so it is important to listen to the body because we do pick up on cues. And I think maybe in our childhood or just in the way that society is structured, we've been taught to just suppress our intuition, suppress our inner wisdom and knowledge. That, and like the body does pick up on the energy and the cues and um, when we're taught to suppress that, we just shut off our inner wisdom and we're, I don't know, seeking validation outside of ourselves or we're just living a lie essentially because we're not really integrated with the body or, you know, embodying how we're really feeling. So at a subatomical level, then you're saying there are things that are happening that move us and challenge us and that we don't really do a good job of like honoring those feelings or or. The, the signals that our body is sending us. Yeah. I just think it's like our subconscious is, isn't um, brought to the light. And I don't think it's because we're, we're bad or we're lazy or we're not brave. I think it's, it's just because we weren't taught how to be with heavy emotions. We weren't taught to love ourselves truly and give ourselves space, give our emotions space We've been taught to manage our anger and just, you know, just all these little things that we've been teaching kids and each other as adults in society to just zip it up, shut it up, tuck it away. Don't be a burden. And yeah, you, you see this, the treatment is different towards men versus women. And 
you know, men have been taught to suppress their emotions. Women have been taught to suppress their sexuality. So it's like, it's just the way we've been taught. So where are the safe spaces for us to really digest? So I really don't think we should shame ourselves for um, not holding the space for ourselves. I think it's just for us to wake up to the fact that, wow, I've not practiced this tool and this resource, you know, that I have within myself. I appreciate all that. And that makes a lot of sense. And I'm wondering if I'm a 65 year old man, uh, this, this is kind of going out on a limb, but imagine you've got a 65 year old man, like, what do they take away from this? Like, they were raised in a very like John Wayne, you know, rugged Assyrian or rugged man. Like you're not supposed to show your emotions. You're not supposed to show your feelings. Does this kind of stuff apply to those people? Do they, are they able to connect with this? Mm -hmm. uh, or is it something that's like beyond where their own experiences to, to try to grasp listening to their body? Totally. That's such a great question. Um, and I've asked myself that throughout the years, but this is accessible to everyone because this is not about figuring and knowing anything because you already know it within yourself. Like your body is already communicating to you its boundaries, its needs, its capacity to hold experiences. So I think when we're approaching people who are not familiar with, you know, body awareness or somatics is just to keep it simple. Like, you know, walking is a form of somatic therapy. Dancing is a form of somatic therapy. Cooking is a form of somatic therapy. If you are conscious and present in the moment, you know, and you feel your feet on the floor and you engage with the smell and the taste, like you are engaging your body. And I think what people just want more of uh, these days and or maybe since the beginning of time is just to be loved and not forced an opinion on and over-educated. Like we have to meet people at their level of consciousness sometimes. Um, so I think it's just about keeping things simple. Like if you know someone who's going through a rough time and maybe they're feeling anxious and you have this, this knowledge of somatics, but they don't, it's probably a foreign thing to them. You could just tell them, hey, let's go for a walk, get the energy moving, get the blood moving, get blood flowing. And then you can share little anecdotes or little tidbits of it. Like, you know, oh, you're feeling stressed from work. Like, how is that, you know, coming up for you in your body? Just like adding those really simple seeds of questions. It really helps people understand like, wow, it's actually a body thing. And that's why my mind is going off like a thousand miles a minute because um yeah my roots my body is not feeling anchored would, yeah. would you say that personally for you on your journey there was sort of an awakening that happened where you maybe went from like hey I've got to get out of my head and into my body because just thinking about things like do you want to personalize this a little more and just share sort of when did Stephanie make the shift for herself of listening to her body? Totally. It's so funny because back in 2014, I was seeing a somatic therapist and I didn't know what somatic therapy was. I just saw uh, this therapist photo on this Psychology Today website and I felt connected. And the first meeting with her, she guided me through like a somatic journey, like a meditation 
in my body. Um, and I worked through a feeling that came up for me and she had me visualize what the feeling looked like in my body. How would I draw it on paper? That kind of abstract thing. And, and at the end of it, she's like, wow, you can do this for people. Like you were able to drop in easily, but even at the time, this was like nine years ago, even at the time, I just didn't feel, I didn't have that aha moment until here's when the, the vulnerable story <laughs> comes. I had a psychedelic experience that really severely traumatized me. It enlightened me and helped me understand things, but it really traumatized me and got me out of my body. And I needed to be back in my body. And then I understood that trauma is relative and, you know, it's different for each person. It's, it's not necessarily what happens. It's just how you were able to process it or not process it in your body and hold that space for yourself. So when I started to come back home to my body through honestly playing the guitar and feeling the calluses form on my fingers, hearing the music and just like connecting my whole body with the guitar, I slowly started to come back and then I understood, then I understood like, wow, you can't just get over it if it's that traumatic to your nervous system. So I, I'm always open to sharing this story of mine because it happens to so many people and our society is not equipped to support these people who are genuinely suffering. It's not just war veterans. It's not just assault victims. It's like people going through other things that are not deemed worthy of, you know, being called traumatic, but it is traumatic based on like their symptoms of afterwards. So I think the question that I have, and I wonder how many of our listeners have is what led you to even consider doing like a psychedelic experience? Yeah, I, um, I'd never done anything like that before. So I was always afraid of drugs. <laughs> um, I was really, you know, that one music video that Murlaga drugs like yeah, really yeah. was in my subconscious. So I was like, say no, say no, like don't do it. But like um my my friend now, but she was she's a YouTuber, she posted a video of like her journey with ayahuasca and it was like the realest video I'd ever seen on YouTube, just someone genuinely speaking from the heart. And when you hear someone speaking from the heart, it's just like at a different frequency. And I remember telling myself, like, I just, I want to do this someday because I really have these questions about life and I experience anxiety and I, and I had a history, you know, of like depression and anxiety when I was younger. So, and then a year after I saw that video, I, I, I just, every time before I go to bed, I, I had this like image in my mind. Again, I'm like really visual of these designs. It was kind of like a squiggly line. It was like going up and down and up and down. And I later found out that that was the same design from the community that I experienced this psychedelic with. Like that is how they embroidered their clothing. And which is really interesting. I, I feel I felt just such a deep calling to go. I had so many questions and yeah, I think a lot of people 
going to do those things. They just want to feel connected. They feel a little out of place or they have these big questions or they have like anxiety and depression that they really want to address and heal through traumas. Yeah. So you're someone who you've been to church your whole life. Family was probably pretty active in church. I know you'd shared that with me. And so at some point you said, you know what, I've got some depression, I've got some anxiety, and I'm also a free spirited person. And I want to try this out, partly because you're just a free spirited, you, you want to have fun and learn something new and try new things. I, I don't mean I don't mean have fun in a trivial way. Like I, I think that's an important, healthy part of all, all of our lives. But at some point, you said, you know, I want to maybe experiment with this or feel what I saw that person feel in that video. And I feel a connection because of these drawings. Um, And then so you went through with it, you took the plunge, and you didn't have the kind of experience you were hoping to have, or thought you would have. And then you were able to leverage that or use that experience to say, hey, what, what am I really looking for? And it sounds like it sounds like you didn't find what you were really looking for through your church. You didn't find what you were really looking for through psychedelic experiences. And now you're you're very honed in on, oh, I, I think I found something that is helpful to me. And it's the somatic healing. Mm, is that a yeah. good, is that, would you say I was like accurate on that? <laughs> well, the one part I did find actually what I was looking for in the jungle, like in that experience, it was not the answer I thought it was though. I, I, my whole life, actually, I always had this, like, uh, I always sought capital T truth. Like, what is the truth? Because I'm such a purist. Like, I'm so, like, if I'm going to do it, I want to do it. Like, I want to embody it. And when I was practicing Christianity growing up, like, I took it too far. And I, I'm s- still recovering a little bit from, like, religious trauma. What does which that is mean? You take, real... What do you mean by you took it too far? I focus too much on the heaviness and the darkness, but I mean, I felt like if you're going to do it right, you have to focus on the, I'm not worthy, shall we none? Um, we're going to go to hell if we don't just shut up and obey this masculine figure. It was always a masculine figure, figure never a feminine figure. I have to not ask questions, even if I do ask questions ask them, but your answer always has to be Jesus um, or else you're going to go to hell. So I felt like I was in the Stockholm syndrome and it just drew me into this like dark, fearful depression of like, I'm going to go to hell. I'm going to get possessed by demons if I go down the bad route and don't follow the Christian path. And so I forced myself into Christianity and I denied myself and I shamed myself and I carried so much guilt around being a woman, around my sexuality, around just being a human with a body, we dissociate so much when we're going through religious trauma because the body is quote unquote sinful and bad and the soul and the spirit is pure. And I think that language is really detrimental. So I say I took it too far, but I feel like that's how the organization of religion is designed to be, to keep you afraid and um, obedient. (laughs) In many ways, you're someone who is devout. You're a devout person and you respect your elders, you respect the family, you respect everything within even 
religious organizations to the point that you you were an adherent like you were in there you were a part of it but at some point it it didn't work for you anymore or at some point you felt like this is actually doing harm for me and it sounds like you weren't able to deal with that in that there wasn't a place for you within that upbringing to be able to talk through these things in a healthy way because if if everything's just going to end with well Jesus is the answer you know you're you're kind of abusing someone by doing that because you're you're not honoring or listening to their pain and i know abuse is like it's a strong word but i think there's something about someone's the christianity you were raised with wasn't working for you you didn't have a way of voicing that that you felt safe doing and so somewhere along the line you now have been doing this somatic healing and somatic therapy and you feel like you have found something that helps you to process the pain the hurt and just the experience of being a human totally yeah it's um movement is is really everything and conscious movement because i i'm currently enrolled in this program of it's like a movement program centralized around the hips and I've been noticing just how much we store in our hips. And I've every time I move my body in this way and, and open my hips and stretch them out and strengthen them, poetry floods through me. And I also feel like I'm releasing a lot of ancestral trauma. And I'm also releasing a lot of religious trauma of just like close, close that area and I don't know, like this is the portal, like for women, especially this, the hips is like the portal of birth and creation, like literally. And there's so much power and force there. And for us to suppress that, it's like, and now that I'm moving my body in that area and stretching it and having a daily practice, I'm not only becoming more flexible in my body, but I'm becoming more flexible in the paradigms that I have and my way of thinking. And and um, my beliefs and narratives. So it's always connected, like how the stiffness of the body and the stiffness of the mind. I love that because it's not talked about. And yet, you, you know, it's right there. It's free. It's a free resource. It's a, it's a free, it's a free, I mean, it's not free to get the help. It's, you know, if we're being honest, it's not free to find these practices. I mean, they're easy practices to physically do, but it takes someone to coach you, to guide you, to help you to know how to do it. Uh, I remember I had one person say to me before an important meeting, he's like, just tap the tap the cup of your hand. So if you're going to karate chop someone, just tap right there four times. And I was like, okay. And I did it just kind of in a weird way. He said, that's a sign to your body that you're safe. And it's the perfect thing to do before you go into a meeting. And I remember doing it and being like, man, I feel much better right now. <laughs> So there's definitely these sort of avenues that are there that our body can tell us things or calm us down or help us with our mental health. And you've kind of found that. And we haven't talked about it, but you did mention it. Tell us about Assyrian trauma based on being a people group who has had to flee their surroundings. And I'm really interested to know if you think that we are caring maybe hundreds of years old in our DNA, pain or hurt or fear? Or is that just like part of being human and everyone has that to, to a degree? Or do we have it more? Like, I think Assyrians 
I think Assyrians need to know and they're interested in, do, am I carrying around the burden of my great-grandparents? And how do, what should we do with that? Should we keep carrying it? Do you have practices for us to let it go? Is it a fictitious? Is it a figment of our imagination or is it a real thing? Mm, love this question. I've got so many chills. I'm just lobbying these massive, um, you need to solve the world's problems right now, Stephanie. So that, that, <laughs> that, I, I do think that this is a thing is Assyrian people, I'm sure when they're feeling down, when they're wrestling with something, they ask themselves like, is this because of my ancestral history? And uh, you, you're the you're the one that has something to say about that. <laughs> so, whenever I engage with my body in an intentional way to just see what comes up, I don't tell myself, "Okay, today is going to be ancestral trauma day. Tomorrow is going to be my own trauma day." You know what I'm saying? <laughs> because it's like whatever comes up comes up, and we actually don't have to remember what happened to us or what happened to our ancestors to release things. And, but yeah, I, I do believe we do carry absolutely ancestral traumas. Everyone does. And trauma, when it's not healed and processed, it gets recycled to the next generation. And that's because, you know, our ancestors were in survival mode and flee mode. Like where did they did not have yoga studios to sit and meditate and release, you know, and um, if that's all you've known is like a patriarchal society, shaming women, shaming men in different ways. And then, you know, your roots, your home, your country is like hostile and not safe. You're the last thing on your mind is going to be, let's digest this because you're, you're fleeing, you're running away. But anyways, um, yeah, I, I think it's, it's more simple than, than we think. It's just being with your body and not forcing memories to come up or forcing to fix the past. It's just being present. It's being, being present with your body heals the past because the past is living in the library of our body, but our presence and our space and our acceptance of whatever showing up emotionally, that is going to undo and untangle everything from the past. And there's been a few occasions where you say, you know, if, if you feel something, then it's probably it's true. Like, don't ignore that. So as we're talking, that's kind of the thing that I'm hearing from you. That is something I always need to be reminded of. And I think a lot of us just need to be reminded of, of even questioning like, hey, is this because of my ancestral history or acknowledging that there's something there is kind of the first step. But what, what I'm hearing from you is that everyone carries a certain amount of trauma and that if we don't take listening to our body seriously, then we may not be able to really heal. And there's valid reasons why people in the past weren't able to listen to their bodies or didn't have those capabilities. But we do, we do now. Yeah, I think a lot of... Um like indigenous cultures have in their connection to the earth. And like an image coming to my mind is like some will, they'll just walk barefoot onto the earth. Like they plant seeds and then they'll stomp the soil on top with their feet and have it become a dance. So it's like constant moving your body, constant connection to the earth. And um, 
Yeah, it's we've always had this technology, I guess you could call it, of just moving our body. I mean, yoga is an ancient practice, and I love it so much, like the yoga asana um, practice, because it's you're one body, but then you become like a million different forms, and you embody different postures and poses, and it's like you know, if you're feeling sad, you're going to slouch. But then if you decide to slowly open your chest and get into a pose, you're literally embodying strength. You're literally embodying like open heartedness. And I feel like that is the answer. There's this book called The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk. And he, I think it was during 9-11 and they did a study what helped, you know, the people going through PTSD after 9-11. And it was like a survey, was it psychotherapy, yoga, massage therapy, and something else? And yoga and massage therapy were the top two things that helped them. Psychotherapy did not help them um, because they were talking and like nothing was getting resolved. Well, I've, I've got a friend who was in one of those buildings um, when, when they got hit. Wow. And he's explained it to me that for 30 minutes after it got hit, he had just been running nonstop. And wow. that he just hit. Yeah, he just he was just running for like 30 minutes. And then at some point he stopped and he had to call his wife. And, you know, the, he didn't have a phone on him or he'd left it in the building or something. And um, as you're talking now, I think to myself, like, yeah, you go through something like that. And what is the therapist going to tell you? you know, the therapist is going to say, well, what were you feeling or whatever? And you're like, man, this was, and so to hear you say yoga, massage therapy, and yeah, if we, if we bring this back to being an Assyrian, we are part of a lineage that our heritage that our ancestors had their own 9-11, or even in the last, you know, 10 years, they have had, um, traumatic experiences and and so maybe we need to as an Assyrian community in Assyrian churches in Assyrian world say hey let's connect more deeply with our body and maybe that's what's kind of missing right now for for so many of the religious organizations is that we try to answer questions but, but instead of like listening to our body to to be our prophet as you you use that I thought that's beautiful, uh, really beautiful when you say that, that our body is a prophet, it's like a prophet or a priest or a pastor or whatever. These are people we hold in high honor, high regard, you know, they're the untouchables and the holy people, but you kind of put the body pretty high up there on the list. <laughs> totally. Oh man, you make such a good point. Um, in our cultures, not just in Assyrian culture, but even in American culture, every culture, We've normalized pain. Oh, I have arthritis. Oh, I have, you know, hypothyroid. Oh, I have like back pain. Oh, I have this. It's normalized so much when we're not built to be living in pain like this. And that's my belief as radical as it might sound. And I'm going to be very black and white right now, but I think most of our body pains are related to trauma that's unresolved, are related to suppressed emotions that are not ever expressed. And it could be a positive emotion. It could be your sexuality. It could be your your joy. It could be your life passion. Maybe you love painting, but you're forcing yourself to be an accountant. And all of that energy is just getting pent up 
so it doesn't have to just be trauma. It could just be like your natural, authentic expression is just getting swallowed. And, and then we have the arthritis, we have the headaches and the migraines, and we have the period cramps and whatever. Um, and so I feel like our community, especially like for sure needs to move and they don't admit to the fact that trauma has still left a mark on them with the whole diaspora and the things that have been happening in the last 10 years because it's in the past, but the body is telling a completely different story. And it takes so much like honor and reverence and like humility to just like bow your head to your body and say like, you tell me, like you lead the way. And I've never experienced love until I got into my body. I've never experienced safety until I got into my body. I've never experienced like the true essence of these words until I felt them in my body. And then when that moment happens where you're like, oh, this is what love is, or oh, this is what like safety and, and belonging and accepting feels like to me. It's just, it changes everything. And then you're like, wow, the body really knows the truth because it's it's like living and beating it as opposed to thinking in like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And what one thing that you remind me of is so many people are looking for some someone or something to bring them that sense of safety or that sense of love. And the old cliche that, you, you know, so many of us hear is, well, it'll happen when you're not looking for it or when you least expect it. And a lot of that is just phony baloney cliche because someone has to help you learn how to love yourself, how to feel mm -hmm. safe in yourself. And if you are there and, you, you know, if we're being honest, none of us are there all the time. There's some days that we're feeling very contented and satisfied and in tune with ourselves and our purpose, and then other days, not so much. But if we're able to make that a habit of, I want to be self, I think you had mentioned the word there's sovereignty, mm -hmm. uh, connecting with our own sovereignty. But if we're able to do that, we could then stop looking for someone else to solve something for us, but to start being more of a giver in a relationship and in our communities. That, I think that's a very fascinating point of most people are taking, taking, taking in order to find something, you know, someone who is going to be willing to listen to their body and process the emotion and the pain, then that person is going to be able to, you be a healer, you'd be a, a giver. Mm. Um, do you feel like any of that resonates for you? Is that, uh, is that connected to the work you're doing of empowering others to be able to find safety in themselves so that they could then give safety to others? Yeah, I, I feel like um, I, I just want people to feel safe in themselves and to trust in themselves. Um, like when I went through that really traumatic psychedelic experience in the jungle and then I told the facilitators, it was met with this language of you didn't surrender enough, it's just your fear, this is part of the process. Like there was no validation that I went through a severe trauma that it's just was awful. Um, and so when I think back to that time, I think like, wow, 
it's a horrible feeling to really be sitting with something and experience something so severe and then to be met with like invalidation and this like closed off judgmental space. And I was like, yeah. And I doubted myself then. And now looking back, it's like, I had every right to not feel safe. And so now when I do work with people, especially in like my writing workshops, which incorporate a lot of somatic awareness, I, um, yeah, I just want to empower people to trust in themselves. And if that means they don't want to be in my space or they don't like me, then trust that. Like, maybe I'm not your cup of tea, like whatever your body is telling you, like just honor it and trust it. And yeah, I think like having been manipulated so much by like spiritual community and then the religious community or religion, that's the last thing I want to do is manipulate and tell people how it's done, but just show them like what's possible in their own way. And I feel that from you. And I think that was what drew me to say, this is someone we need to have on the Assyrian podcast, because Mm -hmm. I think even for me having the awareness of, Hey, you're being manipulative right now, or you're saying those should words or you're thinking of the world in a way that may not be actually true, (laughs) capital T true. It's not something that is a regular part of who we are and how we operate in the world. So for you to be able to take some time and share with us, I think it, I think it means a lot. And, you know, another question I have for you around all of this is, could you share with us what's the dark side? What's the negative side of going too far with this thinking of like, I'm going to listen to everything my body says. Totally. Great question. I feel like anything done with intensity or force is, it mimics the energy of harassment. Like you're going too fast, too far, too soon. Um, And so gentleness is always key. Just find what genuinely feels good to you. And even putting something on TV and watching, and if that feels good to you, do it. If you know, if you just want to incorporate walking every day and some like sitting with a somatic therapist doesn't resonate with you. You don't have to do it. Like just doing what genuinely feels good to you um, is the way to go. I feel like people, a lot of people might think they're really self-aware, but what they are is really self-critical and they're very like micromanaging every cue in their body or every thought that floats through them. And I feel like with this, work of like mind body awareness it's just about being light it's just about like not being too serious about it just like okay i notice it's a pattern of mine and and yeah <laughs> like not being too serious because if if you force too much on your body if like for example if you're stiff and you're trying to do the splits you're going to pull so many muscles um so just thinking of it like that, just go slow and and steady. Yeah. Even that last part around um, taking it easy on yourself. And I love that distinction you made between being self-aware and self-critical just because you can see your own flaws and you're very aware of your own flaws. That doesn't actually mean you have deeper awareness about yourself. It just means you might be being a little mean. Mm -hmm. And so that really resonates with me. And I know it'll resonate with a lot of people. And I'm wondering, 
we've talked a little bit about the church stuff. Do you think there's room in our churches, in any church? Is it not just is there room, but should it be a requirement that the priests start getting training on somatic healing if they truly want to serve the people? Because obviously, like priests and pastors, most of them, they have to get some kind of a theological head knowledge education brain. Here's my Mm -hmm. degree. I've got it. But physically, are the priests, should they be able to lead people through anything like this? Or should they contract out a part of their work to people who are healers in this way? Because obviously, too, religious priests and leaders being physical is not has not been a good thing. Mm. Um, Totally. Yeah. I feel like everyone in a power position should be trauma-informed when it comes to like um, leading people in in like a spiritual setting and because you're working with people's like deep values and subconscious and like you're dealing with legitimate like heavy stuff. And I think everyone who is in that kind of position needs to be trauma-informed. Do I think the priests of the world will do that? I don't think so, because I think it's, I think when you free your body, you wouldn't be so religious. But no, I think I, that's an important topic there. You know, when you free yeah. your body, you wouldn't be so religious, but isn't that what religion is a, supposed to be about, is about connecting with yourself and with your creator more con- closely? Yeah. I mean, I don't want to completely bash it because I know people have like a a beautiful relationship to it. So I just, I, I just feel like the body, like, I think you make a great point about the body incorporating it in because it, it does get so cerebral. And where I got my studies from was at an institution called Embodied Philosophy. And I love that name because if it's not truly embodied, and believed in your subconscious, you're not really truly embodying the religion or the practice. But I I don't think that priests should facilitate or do that kind of work. I think that maybe the church should have like activities. Um, and I know a lot of, you know, Christians are against like yoga inspired practices because they think it's not, it's part of a non-christian belief system but demonic yeah i was gonna say demonic but it's like yeah i think that they should include some body-based activities with the community absolutely like just call it stretching like you don't have to call it yoga what could we do if we if we wanted to work with you what would that look like do you what do you actually help people with around this work so i've I do currently host um, somatic writing workshops. So what is that? That sounds really out there. So I'm a creative writer and a poet. And every time I write, I write from the body. I write from the heart. It just like spills out. And I don't ever experience writer's block because it's, it's just so, I'm just so connected to that place. And I guide people and teach them how to write from the body because that's where all of the poetry lives. It's not some like crafted thing in the mind. So um, I host monthly workshops. Um, It's called Write from the Heart. So it's just 
a blend between writing activities and connecting with the body through different practices, movements, and meditations. I also have guided groups and individuals through like somatic coaching, but that's, I've been putting that on hold. I feel more called to do somatic writing as opposed to just somatics because I feel like a somatic therapist would be better to work with. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm doing currently. Well, it'll be fun to follow your story and follow your journey more. Um, And I do think there's like several podcast episodes that we could create where we were to dive into, you know, lead us through some activities and talk to us about what is that doing inside of us and what is it freeing and what do we continue to need to be freed towards? And who knows, maybe we'll have the bandwidth in the future to do, to do that. But in the meantime, one thing we ask everyone who comes on the Assyrian podcast is if you could say one thing to all Assyrians everywhere who are listening to this episode, what would you say to them? So my response to that would be choose yourself. Our, our community of Assyrians are so the thing I do love is that we're all a family. We're just helping one another. We don't even have to ask for help. The help is there. And I think the shadow side of that is that we neglect ourselves and we feel we owe things to our parents, even though we're in our 30s, 40s, 50s, 20s. And I feel like just choosing and honoring yourself, listening to your body, your body's your authority, your government, your governance, and choose that. And you can choose yourself while loving your community, while loving your family, while, yeah. So that would be my answer to that. I'm sure there's at least one person listening who feels guilt for not being there for their family in the way that they think their family wants them to be there for them. And yet, you know, your message is, yeah, first, first take care of yourself first. It's okay to prioritize yourself. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on the Assyrian podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It was so much fun. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Assyrian Podcast. If you like what you're hearing, we'd love for you to rate and review us wherever you listen to the podcast. Also, go to www.assyrianpodcast.com. Check out our Assyrian Podcast store where you can buy all kinds of amazing swag. Drop us a note. Let us know how we're doing, what you're liking, if you've got any recommendations, or if you would like to host an episode of the podcast. Have a wonderful week, everyone.